It is a joy and comfort to know that in a world that is ever-changing, changing very rapidly, that we have the unchangeable Word of God. As the psalmist said, forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. And this morning we are looking at Psalm 24. My intent was to uh, continue Hebrews chapter 13 from last week, but I will pick that up uh, after Easter. But this morning I want to look at a text that uh, sort of reminds us that this is Palm Sunday. It is the time when we remember the entrance of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem where he was uh, acclaimed as king only later to be rejected and crucified. Psalm 24, listen to God's word this morning as I begin in verse 1. A psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Amen. I remind you that Psalm 24 belongs to a trilogy of psalms, three psalms that sort of fit together, Psalm 22, 23, and 24. They are all messianic in some way. Psalm 22 reminds us of the Messiah as our suffering Savior. Psalm 23 points us to the Messiah as our shepherd. And Psalm 24 reminds us and points us to the Messiah as our sovereign king. Jesus is always all of these. He is the one who suffered in our place. He is always the one who shepherds our souls. And he is always the sovereign king over all things. And this is really our comfort to know that we are redeemed through his suffering. We are watched over by his shepherding and we are secured by his sovereign rule over our lives and the world. If you worship Jesus Christ 
as your king, as your savior, your shepherd, and your sovereign. Then verses 5 and 6 offer a special promise to you. Listen again to those verses. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. The psalmist speaks about receiving two things from the Lord as we worship him and surrender to him. We receive blessing, which I understand to be God's endowment, God's empowerment, so that we can accomplish all that he wants for us in life. It's like when he created Adam and Eve and he commissioned them. The Bible says he blessed them and then he commanded them. He first empowered them to do what he was going to tell them to do. We receive blessing, empowerment when we worship Jesus Christ. Christ as king and we receive righteousness vindication acceptance before a holy God when we worship Jesus Christ as king we are assured that the living God the holy God accepts us I don't have to tell you that we live in a world with pressing needs Unfortunately, most often what we see as our pressing need is not the need to be blessed and the need to be accepted by God. We are pressed by other needs as human beings. Because we live in a fallen world, we have needs that often worry us and needs that keep us awake at night. I think if many of us were to answer the question, what is my greatest need during this worldwide pandemic? Our answer would not be what God would want it to be. And unfortunately, often what we think is our greatest need is a need that may not ever be met. For instance, you may Feel that you need, your greatest need is to be safely kept from the coronavirus. But I want to tell you, that need may never be met. You may become ill. Yes, even as a Christian, you may become ill. God does not promise to keep us from it. He promises to stay with us through everything in life. You may feel that you need a secure job, but the reality may be your company may go bankrupt during this time. You may feel that you need to have a secure retirement, but you may see, as you are seeing now, the stock market crash and your investments go away. You may even feel that your greatest need is to be loved by someone who will always love you. And I hope that that need would be met. But the reality is you may be betrayed. You may be forsaken. There are many marriages during this time of, of, of trial that will not make it through because they do not have Jesus Christ at the center. I'm not being pessimistic. I'm just facing the reality that we live in a fallen world. 
to be honest, I want health and I would want financial security and, and I want to be loved and have a faithful love. These are good desires. But when our desires, even our good desires, become our needs and our needs become our idols which we worship and pursue, then we are on the road to disappointment and despair. My greatest need and my deepest desire should always be to be found in Jesus Christ in whom I always will find blessing from the Lord and vindication, righteousness from God our Savior. When you eventually return to gather at Grace Church of Philly, you might be surprised if you were met at the door by an usher who declares to you Psalm 24. As you enter in, he reminds you that the world belongs to God, everything in the world belongs to God, and you belong to God, that you need to acknowledge that God is your sufficient creator. And then you might be surprised if the ushers ask you, who can really come in to worship God? And then tells you, only those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And then the usher may say to you, are you ready and willing to welcome Jesus Christ as your sovereign King and Lord? If so, then come and worship him and be blessed in his presence. Psalm 24 is what I would call a ritual enactment of life as it ought to be. That is, life begins with worship, satisfaction in life, security in life, happiness in life begin with worshiping Jesus Christ as our sovereign king. Notice that verse 6 says that this blessing and this righteousness is for those who seek the face of the Lord. And of course we understand that that is a metaphor. By seeking his face, the psalmist is simply saying that we're coming to God for his approval, for his blessing, for his favor, for his smile upon our life. If God's face shines on you, according to the Old Testament, then he is blessing your life and showing favor to your life. And if God hides his face from you, then that is a terrible thing to happen to you. We are called throughout scripture, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. The psalmist said, my heart says of you, seek his face. And then he says, Lord, your face I will seek. Seeking the face of the Lord in New Testament terms is is actually finding yourself resting in and rejoicing in Jesus Christ. It's coming to Christ and believing and accepting all of your blessing in life, that you are blessed in all spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. Psalm 24 offers to us 
a hymn of praise. Some would say that the psalm was actually written to portray when David brought the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant into the capital city of Jerusalem. And as he's approaching the gates, as the priests are leading the way for this symbol, and not just the symbol, the reality that the presence of God dwelt in that tabernacle, as, as, as this procession comes to the city. It, it is a picture of us preparing to worship Jesus Christ as King. And as I look at this psalm, I think there are three things that we can grasp from it that will help us to understand how we seek his face and what it means to be blessed and to have vindication, righteousness before God. I think there are three things the psalm calls us to do. First of all, I must believe in and declare his sufficiency. Again, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. I need faith to believe the revelation of God's word that Jesus is the creator and the Lord and the sustainer of all things. The imagery of the first two verses is ancient imagery where God has the power to bring order out of chaos. As the world was created, Genesis tells us that it was unformed and unfilled. And then God speaks and he causes light and he causes vegetation and he causes animal life and he brings about human life. He is the one who brings order out of chaos. In ancient imagery, the seas and the waters were always looked at as chaotic forces that, that, that needed to be restrained and contained. And it's God in his great power who establishes an ordered world upon these chaotic seas and waters. He subdues the forces of chaos. And it's because he founded the world, both the material world and the inhabited world, because he founded them, they belong to him. He is the one who can take that which is chaotic. He is the one who can take that which is unformed and unfilled, and he can endow it with life and with blessing. If we will worship Jesus as king, we must recognize him as the creator and the Lord of all creation. The one whose presence we seek, the one whose blessing we seek, is the one whose domain covers everything. He owns everything. He owns everybody. He made everything. And we declare his sufficiency. And it's important as we read these verses to know that the psalmist isn't bringing our attention simply to the beauty and wonder and the gift of creation. Though certainly we can look at the created world that way. 
But what the psalmist is doing is bringing our attention to this God who is the source of all blessing. We worship not the creation. We worship the creator because it's in him and him alone that we find a security, a satisfaction, a joy that can never end. We can't find it even in the gift of the created world because that will be gone someday. If you think with me for a moment of what existed prior to the creation of the world. Prior to the creation of the world, there was only the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And there they were in complete enjoyment of their eternal relationship. They delighted in the perfect love that they shared. They delighted in the perfections of their being, of their attributes. They needed nothing outside of themselves for pure joy. This is what we call the, the necessary work or the necessary being of the Trinity. God is satisfied in himself. God delights with perfect delight in himself. Always has, always will be. And he needs nothing outside of himself to have that perfect eternal joy. And yet we know that he creates the world. This is the free work of the Trinity. There was no necessity. There was nothing lacking in God that he must create a world and create you and me. But this is his free work that flows out of his goodness. Because the great joy that the triune God always has had and will have eternally is the joy that he invites us to enter into. He gives us many other gifts many of which are temporal, including the created world. But the ultimate gift that he gives us is himself. He invites us to come into union with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we share in the eternal, never-ending, never-diminishing joy and sufficiency of the Trinity. It cannot be found anywhere else. And so when the psalmist is telling us that God created the world, he's not saying, look at the world. He's saying, look at this God who alone has the power to give life and blessing. I remind you of the 19th century French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal, whose words have encouraged all of our hearts so many times. But I must repeat them again when he talks about uh, humanity's pursuit of happiness. He said, all men seek happiness without exception. They all aim at this goal, however the means they use to attain it. They will never make the smallest move, but with this 
as its goal, this quest for happiness. This is the motive of the actions of all men, even of those who contemplate suicide, he says. And yet for centuries past, never has anyone lacking faith reached that mark at which all continually aim. Nobody, he says, without faith ever finds the happiness, that lasting happiness they pursue. He says all men complain, princes and subjects and nobles and commoners, old and young, learned and ignorant, sound and sick, of every climate, of every time, of every age, of every state. He asked, what is it then that this eager desire and this incapacity cry aloud to us, but that man once possessed true happiness, of which now nothing remains save the mark and the empty outline which he vainly tries to fill with his circumstances, seeking from things the help which he fails to find in the present, but all of them incapable of giving contentment and joy. And this line, because the infinite abyss can only be filled by one infinite and steadfast object by God himself. That infinite abyss of your soul can only be filled by the infinite presence of God. God invites us to enjoy the delight and the satisfaction that the triune God has enjoyed for all eternity. We declare the sufficiency of our sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ, that he alone is the true source of fullness of life. And in this time of difficulty and challenge and, and worry and fear, the psalmist says, remember, you belong to the God who made everything, who made you, to whom everything belongs, to whom you belong. You belong to the God who can take the chaos of this world and bring order and life to it. Why should we come to the Lord to fill that emptiness within? Simply because he alone can fill it. Because he longs to share with us the greatest possible joy possible. And that's what happens when you repent of your sin and you come to Christ. God gives you his spirit which brings you into union with the triune God so that you can enjoy the delight that God has always enjoyed. But another reason we should come to the Lord to fill that emptiness is this. Because in addition to giving us joy in this very moment, he guarantees that we will be satisfied for all time to come. I like what Daniel Fuller said. He said, unless we have confidence that the joy we are presently experienced can always be ours. The fear of its loss would haunt us and greatly diminish that joy. You get coronavirus, but you still live with the fear you may get it again. 
you get Jesus and you get joy in Jesus and you can live with the confidence that you never need to lose that joy in Jesus Christ. If we don't believe in his sufficiency, then it manifests itself in our anxiety, our covetousness, our jealousy, our unforgiveness, our impatience, our self-adulation, our fear. If we don't believe that Jesus can satisfy us, then we will look to other idols. The psalmist wants us, wants us to know that we are creatures that can only find sufficiency in the creator. But secondly, he wants us to know that if we will worship Jesus Christ as king and know that blessing and righteousness from God, then you must be a redeemed worshiper. And I choose those words carefully. Looking again at our psalm in verse 3. The question is asked, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy presence? And the answer is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. But who is this person? Who is this one who has such integrity of life? Not just the outward hands are clean, but the heart is pure. Not only that he's doing the things that are right that others see, but he's got a heart that God looks at, a heart where God sees that you love him with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Who is this one with integrity that he has such loyalty, loyalty to God that he never lifts up his soul to an idol? He never worships false gods. He never pursues satisfaction and security in other things. Who is this one who always has integrity in the promises that he makes to God? He does not swear by what is false. Who is this one who has such absolute perfect integrity? And as you read these words, if you read them with me, then you should say with me, it's not me. Because I have found my hands dirty. And I know how often my heart is impure. Who can come and worship? Who has this integrity? And ultimately we can only say Jesus Christ. Amen. He's the only one with pure heart and pure acts with absolute integrity. But the good news is that all of those who are in Jesus Christ by faith, all of those who belong to him, they are redeemed worshipers. My hands are clean and my heart is pure, not in and of my own power or works or efforts. My hands are clean and my heart is pure because God sees me in Jesus Christ. 
It's redeemed worshipers. Sinners who have found cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because this God that we come to worship, this sovereign king, is a holy God. Remember he told Moses, you take off your shoes because as you stand before this burning bush, it's a reminder and symbol that you are in the presence of a holy God. And we remember when God gave his law at Sinai with the thunder and the lightning and the fear that was induced upon those people. It was because of the presence of a holy God. How do I come? How can I approach this holy God? Who can come? And the New Testament answer is only those who are in Jesus Christ. Someone wrote me last night asking me a question about whether people they knew who were of other religions would be in heaven someday. And apparently she was writing because of people that she knew who had died and knew that they weren't. Uh, evangelical believers in Christ and wondered, you know, will I meet them in heaven? And of course, our answer can only be only those who trust Jesus Christ as Savior and surrender to him as Lord will ever be in heaven. They may have another religious tag to them, but if they confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then they will be in heaven. If not, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God is a holy God and only those in Christ, not in religion, but those who are in Christ whose perfect righteousness becomes our righteousness, we can come and worship this sovereign king. I must believe in his sufficiency and I must be a redeemed worshiper. And thirdly, I need to welcome his power and his glory, not resist it. I know what it is to resist it. I've resisted it for years. I wanted to live my own way, do my own thing, run my own life. I didn't want anybody and especially God telling me what to do. But if we will welcome this king, we welcome him as king. The cry is lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. That is, remove all of those obstacles. Get rid of that sin. Come to repentance and come to faith. But the, the reply comes back. Who is this king of glory? And the response is, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Who is it that we come to worship? Who is it that we welcome? It is this glorious king who conquers death, 
who defeats sin, who conquers the grave, who conquers Satan. He vanquishes all of the hosts of evil, the glorious king who is mighty in battle. And so the cry comes again. Lift up your head, O you gates. Lift up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And again the reply, the response, who is he, the king of glory? The Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of innumerable, incomparable armies, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. You're not simply welcoming a good friend. Though he is a good friend. You're not simply welcoming a kind and gracious and good father. Though he is all of that. When you come to worship the king, you are welcoming one who is the glorious king, who is mighty in battle, who is the Lord of hosts, whom we submit to, we surrender to, we open the, the door to. Revelation chapter 3 has a similar image. Where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. This king of glory, this one who is mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts. He doesn't break down the door. He invites you to welcome him. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will stay with him and he with me. If you want to worship this king and know the blessing and the righteousness, the vindication that comes from God alone, then today you simply need to repent of your sin, believe that he died and rose again, surrender to him as Lord of your life, and keep repenting and keep believing that Jesus Christ is all that you need, and you will receive blessing and righteousness from the Lord. Would you for a moment bow your head with me wherever you are? If you want to know this blessing from the living God, if you want to know that God accepts you even though he knows the worst about you, he vindicates you, then right where you are, wherever you are in the world today, would you simply say this to the living God who invites you to welcome him in? Say, Father, I repent of my futile attempts to find life and happiness apart from you. I repent of my rebellion. And I believe 
that Jesus Christ died the death that I deserve and rose again to give me a new life that I don't deserve. And so today, I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and I submit to him as my Lord. And Father, I thank you for giving me the gift of yourself, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, help some, wherever they are today, to believe that Jesus Christ is all they need for life and joy and happiness. That in the darkest times of life we can trust him. And in the best times of life nothing will be better than what we have in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.